And good morning, church. It's good to have you with us in the house of God today. Uh, November, we're starting a new sermon series, going over thankfulness, thinking about God's benefits, what he's done for us in Christ. And today we're focusing on the healing and forgiveness God has for us. And, it's, and really, when you think about that, ever since the moment Adam and Eve rebelled against God, sin, sickness, moral decay, death, what we call total corruption, has infected God's good creation as it is until this day. You see it and you experience it everywhere. Every war, every abortion, every social ill and woe, every racial problem we have, every poverty issue, disease, broken home, theft, murder, sexually immoral act, covetous desire, all gossip, all ruined relationships. All of it's because of the corrupted condition of humanity in our environment. It's the curse of sin playing out. And our personal participation in this is called the works of the flesh. Our corrupted condition expressing itself. Everybody has sinned against the living God. Everybody has. No one has not in this room. But thankfully, one of the main points of Scripture is how God Almighty, the good and faithful and loving Creator, will heal, restore, and purge his tainted creation and all of his creatures of all sin and corruption. How he will cleanse the sin curse and its effects once and for all. And after thousands of years and many pages of the Bibles later, the promises of cleansing we read about in Psalm 103.3, Bless the Lord, O my soul, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. They come to fulfillment in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is what we are going to celebrate and give thanks for today. It's our main point. We are to be thankful for the cleansing in Christ Jesus. We're to be thankful for the cleansing in Christ Jesus. And we see this cleansing in hope that God has provided us for us in his son. First, demonstrated in his life and ministry. We see the plan of God's healing in the life and ministry of Jesus. But it's really, it's ultimately Christ's crucifixion that this cleansing, this, this total healing and forgiveness that comes a definite reality for the people of God. It's only through the crucifixion. So let us stand. We're going to have three readings from God's word, and we're going to explore this truth. Hear now the words of the living and true God. A reading from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 5, 17 through 26. A familiar story for many of us. It says, On one of those days, as he, Jesus, was teaching... Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? And Jesus said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. 
And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Our second reading, 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25. He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree, the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Our final reading, Gospel of St. John, 19, 28 to 35. Jesus is already on the cross. It says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of water of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. But since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. Thanks be to God for his word. Lonnie, would you pray for us? Amen. You may be seated. Church, we are to be thankful for the cleansing that is in Christ Jesus. And in our first gospel story from St. Luke, we have an episode that serves as an epitome of Christ's ministry and how it reveals God the Father's plan to cleanse us, to forgive us, to heal us. And he's going to do this through his only son. For notice how this story begins in verse 17. It says, The power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. And this little phrase is really important to our understanding of the character and the plan of God Almighty. For the Lord Jesus only ever did the will of his heavenly Father. And he obeyed the Father perfectly, perfectly. Every leper cleansed, every blind who received sight, every deaf man whose ears were opened, every sickness, fever, and every possessed person who was liberated by the Lord Jesus Christ was done so because it was the Father's will that it happened for them. It was God's good pleasure. And all these healings, when you read them in the gospel stories, they speak past their immediate context of the miraculous. The healings of the Lord Jesus Christ, they speak to us of God's goodness, of his compassion, his desire, and his willingness to heal and cleanse even us to this day, to cleanse his good creation that is marred by sin and destruction. And this is because this is what God's kingdom is ultimately like. We know the end of the story. If you've been in church enough, you've read the Revelation enough, we read it and we read it because God's kingdom is a place free from corruption. Hear the Revelation, though, one more time. Understand that these healings speak 
prophetically in a way of God's ultimate plan for the good for his creation. Revelation 22 says, John's having his vision. He says, and Jesus and this angel showed me a pure river of the water of life, clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb in the middle of its street. And on each side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There shall be no more curse. It will be cleansed in the final day. And so by virtue of sending Christ into the world to heal and forgive people, God is making known his will and his desire for the cleansing of his people and eventually the full creation. But sometimes in this life, we tend to have very wrong thinking about God's intention. We think wrong about God Almighty. We think God doesn't want us to be made whole or healthy or complete, or maybe that he's neglectful of our estate and our miserable condition. Maybe God forgot about me. Maybe that's why I'm suffering. That's why life is so hard. But quite the opposite is true, church. He didn't honor humanity with his divine image to leave them in their sin-cursed state, to leave them in their corruption. And if you remember, right in the garden, right after an Adam and Eve sin, God even then showed us the plan for goodness. He clothed them. He didn't kick them out in their nakedness, in their misery. He was good and kind to them and clothed them before he sent them out, foreshadowing his plan in Christ Jesus for you and I to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, to put on immortality. And so with great confidence, I can tell you today, it is God's will even for you in 2023, in the upcoming year, that God's will is to cleanse you and I today. The problem is you and I often want the wrong things cleansed and healed. We primarily want our bodily pains to stop. We want our sufferings to be eased. And that is very understandable. If you've been through suffering, you know how awful it really can be. The lame want to walk, the blind want to see, the deaf want to hear, and those with cancer want to be healed. That's understandable. But according to the word of God and this story we just read, that is not the real problem. That's not our ultimate enemy. It's real suffering and we don't want to marginalize or neglect pain of the body in our miserable estate we have sometimes. But that's, that's not our deepest need, church. It's not. These are simply painful effects of the sin cursed or symptoms, if you will, of the corruption in this world and the corruption in our bodies. They're not the underlying disease. And this story tells us the truth. It shows us this. Mankind's greatest issue is his spiritual condition. Because in this story, we have a paralytic. A man, a paralytic man, a paralyzed man. He's brought to Christ. who has got a real disability. He's got a real problem. He cannot walk. We don't know anything about this guy. We don't know how long he's like this. We just know he's got a real problem. And then when, Christ, when he's brought before Christ in such a dramatic fashion, being let through the roof, the Lord Jesus, as he normally does in his healings, does not address his problem right there, does he? He doesn't say, get up and walk. He doesn't tell him that. But he looks right at him and he tells him the truth. What our real problem is, he goes, your sins are forgiven. What a curveball. Imagine if you were that guy. Imagine if you were that guy and your friends are bringing you here. You're so excited. You're excited that you're going to walk again because you know that this Jesus can make you whole. You know it. He's famous at this point. He's done miracles. He's healing the masses. And now you've come face to face with the Christ. It's your turn to be healed. 
And in that moment of anticipation, when you think your world is going to be set straight, that you're going to walk again, you're given a word you did not expect. But it resonates deeply. You're told the truth about your sinful heart. What's wrong with you, really? Your real condition. And being a Jew, I imagine he knew, benefit of the doubt, I imagine the words of Jeremiah the prophet maybe echoed through his mind in this moment. For the prophet said, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? But Jesus understands it. For Jesus tells him the truth. It's our souls that are sick and the source of our corruption. For our sins and our rebellion and the way we violate God's commandments, they are an evidence, the evidence of a sick soul. And consider this. Our bodies can be healed through both miracles and medicine, but your soul can only be healed by God alone. And this is why the eternal God took on flesh and was born, to be our true physician, to heal and cleanse mankind and the corrupted creation. And in this healing story, we get a clear portrait, not just of what our deepest need is to be cleansed in the heart, to have our sins taken away. We also see Jesus displayed as the true physician. Verse 24 says that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so by having his sins forgiven, this paralytic man demonstrates to us a glimpse of the full cleansing that Christ has prepared for every one of his people at the end in the resurrection. Total healing. For the paralytic man left his meeting with Jesus walking and worshiping the living God both body and soul, restored to the way God had designed in the beginning, only better. For Jesus, the good physician, he heals the inner man of sin and he heals our broken bodies in the resurrection. As Christ is, so we all shall be who love the Lord God. But for this to happen, for this future resurrection happen, this total healing that God has promised us in the end, for that to happen, the Lord Jesus Christ must go to the cross. And the cross is God the Father's. The cross fulfills God the Father's plans to heal you and heal me, to cleanse us of unrighteousness and sin and everything wrong with us. And Christ did this by taking our sins into his body. And this is what Peter spoke about in our little excerpt from his epistle. It says that Jesus took our sins into his flesh. He bore our sin in his body and all its effects, every rebellion, all our moral decay, your physical ailments, your pain and your suffering, all your corruption. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he was suspended between the heavens and the earth on that Roman cross, took that into his body. And God judged it worthy of death. And God struck down his son and all of our sin in him and all of our suffering in him. God killed sin in the Lord Jesus Christ's body on that cross. And it can kind of be compared to this. I was thinking, how do I explain that to like children? How do I explain that to friends and family? What does it mean that Jesus takes our sin away? And I read a commentator and he said, it's kind of like, because no earthly illustration will ever do justice to how we explain Christ was like a sponge and took it on himself. But this person explained it, said, imagine if you took the core of an infection out the rest of the wound will heal. Likewise, by Jesus dying on the cross and you receiving that, by you believing in that, 
It's like Christ is taking the core of your infected, corrupted soul out of you onto himself so the rest of your personhood can heal and become the man and woman of God God's called you to be. And this has always been the plan of the Messiah. This has always been the mission of the Christ was to cleanse the people of their unrighteousness and their sin and their brokenness, their sickness and their diseases. That's always been the plan since the beginning. For Peter quotes the prophet Isaiah and hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, it was already proclaimed in the prophets that this was the plan of the Messiah would come to die for sins and heal the people. Here, Isaiah 53, Peter quotes a little bit of it, but it's Isaiah 53, four to six. It says, surely he, the Christ, has borne our griefs and he carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And here's what Peter quoted. And with his wounds, you are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, the Messiah, the iniquity or the sin of us all. This is what we should be thinking about when we think of the crucifixion, the Messiah bearing our sin, our corruption, our miserable estate, total depravity, original sin, all that stuff we talk about. The Lord Jesus Christ in his body is taking that on himself. He dies fulfilling the Father's will to heal you and to heal me and any who will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. And what really illustrates this is when the soldier pierced Christ's side. Out of all the gospel readings, this is the one that really jumped out to me this week. I think it illustrates it well, the cleansing in Christ, how Jesus is taking our sins and providing healing for the people. For it says, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once there came blood and water and he who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true and he knows that he is telling the truth that you may believe. And while this passage affirms the literal bodily death of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you take it to the bank, he really did die on the cross. Man, you cannot ignore the symbols of blood and water being used here because throughout all the pages of scripture, blood and water are used all the time as means of God to cleanse the people from the temple rituals, from the Passover to the regular washings our ancestors had to do under the law. Blood and water are used all the time. The priest on the day of atonement splashes blood in the temple. If you came up to the altar, they would splash blood on it. If you were unclean and you couldn't come to the temple before you would do these washings, it's like it's the Old Testament is filled with all of these types of purity rituals of blood and water And here in the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, we see both elements issuing forth from his broken body, blood and water to make us acceptable to God. And John Chrysostom, he is a super famous preacher of the Roman era, left us a huge collection of sermons, but he said this, uh, preaching on John's text that we read. He was late 300s or so. He said this on a commentary about John's gospel with the piercing of the side. He says, in this moment, the piercing of Jesus, an ineffable mystery was accomplished for there came forth water and blood. This was not without a purpose and this was not by random chance did these two founts come forth, but because by means of these two together, the church consists. Unlike the temple and the people of old, 
who yearly and regularly had to do these continual washings and purity rituals and all those types of things with water and blood, like the Feast of Passover, the Day of Atonement, stuff like that, the people of the new covenant, they receive better promises and a better cleansing, which does not fade. It does not fade, amen. For we are washed and we are purified through the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ, cleansed by his crucifixion. We have a real and lasting forgiveness and a real healing for our broken hearts and our broken minds. Real lasting healing, original sin and our wicked works are purged through the body of Christ and our baptism and our communion are supposed to be evidences of this reality. We just had a baptism today. It's like, it's a testimony to that we are made clean and right in God by faith, by trusting in Jesus, by his resurrection from the dead, that our baptism encapsulates all those elements. And so does our communion. And that is why faith in Jesus, trusting him, trusting that his cross not just was a factual event, but that his cross really does bring healing to your sick, corrupted soul is so necessary. Because if you are not cleansed by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, then you're not forgiven of your sins. Corruption is still in your soul, in your body, in your heart, in your mind. And a corrupted person lives a corrupted life. The apostles tell us the works of the flesh, they're evident, the corrupted life, sexual evils, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. A corrupted soul lives a corrupted life, these works of the flesh, these things. But God has promised cleansing and eternal life, forgiveness, healing, all those beautiful things. He promises those. He promises those things to those who have claimed his son as his own. And Christ, the good physician, he's calling you even now to come and be healed. Be healed of the infirmities of your soul and live. Find peace with God and experience a thankfulness and a joy you never thought was possible. As the apostles preached, repent, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, be baptized, all that stuff. Trust in Jesus. Trust him. Follow him. He is the Lord and he alone is your source of healing. And for those of you who have come to Jesus, which is many of you today, and you've already received this healing of your soul. You know what we're talking about, this changed life. You know what it's like to be cleansed from the blood and water that flowed from his side. You know what that healing feels like, to have that peace with God, to know him and love him. But how can we show our thankfulness to God in these things? How can we actually apply texts like this? How do we actually express thankfulness to God? A couple bullet point items I thought through this week that challenged me is one, worship as a cleansed people. Worship as a cleansed people. Your worship should reflect the status of your heart. Is worship a joy to you? you, Are you so thankful that you are cleansed in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you have life? Or are you indifferent towards the cross of Jesus? Because if you think about the Old Testament, if you were unclean, you could not come to temple. 
You could not come to worship. You could not come to offer sacrifices. How much more should the people of the new covenant who have been cleansed by the eternal son of God, sacrifice on the cross, come into places like this with great joy and great expectation and purity of heart? Does your worship reflect your cleansed heart? If not, why not? Second thing, point others to this sacred fountain. When people know you and they know you're a Christian and they've seen transformation in your life, be quick to point them to the reality. This is a work of God. He's cleansed my soul. He's made me right with him. Your good works declare the glory of God. And when people notice those things about you, be quick to give glory to God. This is only in me because Christ has made my heart whole because he's changed me. Don't forget that. And don't be bashful about it. Proclaim boldly, this Jesus changed me. You need this healing too. And the last two really could be put together. I put be more attentive to the Lord's table, but I think it's better as I'm just preaching now, thinking through when guilt and shame come in your life, we have a tendency to draw back from the Lord's table. We tend to not take communion when we feel guilty. And I understand that. But really think about that. The words that we read before the communion say, Jesus tells us that this blood and this broken body, he says it's shed for the forgiveness of sins. If you have sorrow for your sins in your heart, that should not stop you from coming to the table. People say, my sins are too much, I can't come to the table. It's like, no, no, you're thinking of it wrong. You come to the table because you need the healing of Jesus. You need to be reminded that you have been cleansed. You need that reminder in you. And I've met many people in the pastoral ministry and they like, I can't take communion this week because I sinned really bad. And I'm like, that I understand. But if the shed blood and body are meant to be that continual symbol that we do week after week to encourage you that you have been forgiven. Where else are you going to go for comfort? You know, to get it with the process. So we let our sins stop us. But the, I would say this on the other side, if you're indifferent towards your sins, if you don't care about them, if you're to the point where like, ah, I watched pornography and got drunk this week. I don't care. Then you should not take communion. That's when your sins against you. But if you're sorrowful and seeking reconciliation and repentance, don't let your sin stop you from running to the Lord Jesus. This gift of communion is given to you to ease your conscience, to grow you in faith, to make you more confident that you have been cleansed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Guilt and shame, though, are great weapons of the enemy to stop us from laying hold of the promises of God. We say, I'm too unclean, God. I can't come to your table today. Wrong. Because you are unclean, run to the Lord. But if you are indifferent to your sins, don't take communion then. If you think they're not a big deal, if you have no contrition of heart, no remorse, that's when you should not because that's when the Lord says he judges us for trampling the blood of the covenant underfoot. So as we think about these things today and as we open the altar, do you need today in this moment to lay hold of God's promises more? Are you, are you where you wanna be at? Is there still sin in your life that you're asking God to deal with? Or maybe you know somebody who hasn't been cleansed of Christ. They haven't received the forgiveness of sins. They haven't been healed in their heart. Maybe we could be praying for them too. The altar will be open. Have you laid hold of the promises of the cross? That's the question today. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, thank you for this time together. Thank you for this word that we are only healed and cleansed in you. And outside of you, there's just death and corruption. But you want life for your people. And if anybody here has not received the promises of Christ, they have not bowed the knee to Jesus, they haven't done all this Christian stuff we're talking about, they haven't trusted in you, Jesus, I pray you would help them even now humble themselves and receive the forgiveness of sins, to receive life everlasting, to lay hold of you. And if somebody here is struggling with continual sin habits, Lord, and they're, they're broken of their sin and they're sorrowful and they're still looking for more healing, I pray that you would give them great confidence that they can keep running to you, the great physician. You desire their wholeness. For you say we are complete in Christ Jesus, that we are new creatures in you. You heal us all of our days. Be with us, Lord, in this moment. Work on our hearts. In Christ's name we pray.